Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. What a beautiful day in the nation's capital. Spring may finally be here, my friends. It may be here. We may finally be outside of winter's clutches. <gasps> Hello, I'm Brian Lilly in a good and weird mood today because, well, it's uh, it's 10 after 7. Unless you're listening on the podcast, then it's whatever time it is where you are. It's sunny outside. It's warm outside. I was walking around without a jacket. Now, in another sign of spring, it took 20 minutes for me to drive down from the bunker to the Byward Market. A walk that takes me about 10 minutes took me 20 minutes to drive it because of all the stupid construction and the I was driving down earlier and you know you're you're getting stuck with people literally traffic jams of gridlock because someone decides oh, light's going to turn red I may as well drive in in the middle of the intersection now and just wait yeah that's always fun I'm in a good mood despite the bizarre news that we're going to be talking about not all of it's happy news today we got Warren Kinsella coming up on the show later on uh, Faith Goldie from the rebel.media just back from Halifax investigating that story she'll talk to us as well We're going to check in on American politics and speak to a lawyer on the issue of the assisted suicide legislation that came down today. Legislation that doesn't leave any side happy. Not at all. But I've been thinking about this all day. If you listen to Bill Carroll this morning, and if you didn't, the question is why. If you listen to Bill Carroll... You would have heard an interview with the young man from Attawapiskat where there was a suicide pact this weekend, this past weekend. And the provincial government's talking about spending $2 million extra dollars in this small community of 2,000 people because of the suicide crisis going on there. The federal government or federal, federal parliament had a uh, – they had an emergency debate on the suicide issue in Attawapiskat. Because a bunch of kids decided they wanted to end their lives. And this story has been leading headlines. It's been leading newscasts. It it has seized the nation. And then at the same time as we're worried about people committing suicide, it's being heralded as a great day that, well, we're bringing in legislation to allow people to have doctors help kill them. Assisted suicide. Are they different issues? To a degree. But it also shows how how messed up we are as a society that on the one hand, we want to do everything we can to stop these young people from killing themselves. And then on the other hand, we want to do everything we can to make it so that people can kill themselves. Why are we worried about the people in Attawapiskat if suicide is such a good thing? Because you've been sold on the idea of assisted suicide, that it is for uh, people that are terminally ill. And the legislation introduced today, to a degree, 
to a degree, tries to keep it at that. But as you'll hear later, the activists are already saying, no, it's too restrictive. We need it for people that are mentally ill. We need it for young people. We need it for people that are having going through a rough time. This is not going to stay at just people that are dying from cancer or Parkinson's or Lou Gehrig's. This is going to expand. And the activists have been on TV all day. They've been on radio all day denouncing the government for being too restrictive. Everyone should have access to this. This is one of the rare times that I I, I feel sympathy for the liberal government. Because I know within the Liberal Party, there are deep divisions on this issue. And this is not something that they wanted to have on their legislative agenda. It's not something the Conservatives wanted. Every time Parliament has voted on this issue, they have voted it down. I believe the last time that they voted on this was about 240 to 59 against to 59 or so in favor. Jack Layton voted against it. Justin Trudeau voted against it. Stephen Harper voted against it. Only block MPs voted for it. The entire rest of Parliament said, no, we don't want to go this way. And there have been several votes over the last decade. But eventually it got to the courts again, and the Supreme Court reversed itself. Because in the 90s, and Supreme Courts aren't supposed to overturn their own precedent, but in the 90s they said, nope, a restriction on assisted suicide is, is legal, it's constitutional, it's in keeping with the Charter. And then last year they said, no, it's not. And even though they knew that there was an election coming, they only gave Parliament 12 months to respond. So... When that 12 months came up in January, or sorry, it was supposed to come up in March, Trudeau went to the courts in January, asked for a four-month extension. They got it, and today they brought in this legislation. And the prime minister was in London, Ontario today, and he said he agrees that there should be a choice for adults who are suffering intolerably and for whom death is reasonably foreseeable. He thinks this legislation strikes that balance. The plan we put forward is one that respects Canadians' uh, choices uh, while putting into place uh, the kinds of safeguards needed. But those safeguards won't stay there, and I can explain why, having sat through, having looked at the package delivered today, having been at the news conference with the Justice Minister and the Health Minister and Dominic LeBlanc, the the, uh, House leader for the Liberals, It will not stay there because you've got to have two doctors sign off. You have to have two witnesses say that you're of sound mind. The courts are going to look at that and say that is too too, uh, onerous. We've got to get rid of that. And this restriction saying that it can't be for people that are mentally ill. Why would we want? I, I, I get why the government says, no, we're not putting mentally ill in there. That is one of the big reasons that the... The last time Parliament voted on this, it was voted down. Francine Lalonde's bill from the Bloc Québécois, she wanted to make it so that if you were depressed, you could get physician-assisted suicide. Most of us, when we see people that are depressed, we want to help them. 
But all these restrictions will be struck down by the courts eventually. And there's Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, her of fundraising fame, talking about how this bill is going to protect the vulnerable. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not. Personally, I believe we need to provide the most comfort to people when they are nearing the end of their lives, whatever form that takes. And whatever form that takes will be whatever form the courts decide. The activists are already on the march. And this is a bill that's going to be attacked by all sides. By those who are in favor of assisted suicide, they will say it's too restrictive. It will be attacked in the courts by them. It will also be attacked in the courts by those who are are opposed to physician-assisted suicide because doctors and nurses are going to turn around and say, I did not sign up for this. I signed up to save lives. You can't make me do it. But already some of the regulatory bodies are trying for that. We do have this thing called the Charter. When we come back, I'll play you a clip from Sean Casey, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Justice Minister, on with Evan Solomon making ridiculous comments earlier today. I'll explain why Sean Casey proved himself unfit to sit in Parliament. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. It's a song in the 90s. It was the 90s. Maybe it was the early 2000s. Everybody knows the world is full of stupid people. Wish I could remember what it was called. It's in my head now, and it'll be in your head after I play the clips from the people I'm about to play. Uh, Sean Casey, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Justice, and uh, Shanaz Gokul. And and it doesn't matter which side of this debate you're on. You can think that I'm all wet and assisted suicide is wonderful. That's, you know, that's neither here nor there. The fact is we've got to agree on certain facts because you can have interpretations, you can have opinions, but facts are facts. Sean Casey actually saying that, well, we'll get to the clip in a minute, but it's just a complete cop-out on behalf of the federal government. But first, let's go to the head of Dying with Dignity Canada. She's one of the, uh, her name is Shanaz Gokul. This is the woman I told you about a few weeks ago, said religious organizations have to be forced to do assisted suicide because uh, religious views can't trump a constitutional right even though the first fundamental freedom protected is freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. So that just tells you the intelligence level we're dealing with when I play you a clip of Shanaz Gokul, okay? But she's disappointed in this bill. She says she thought she'd get better from Trudeau and says, look, uh, we, we need, there are millions of Canadians that won't be able to get relief from their suffering because of this, because the bill actually says you have to be uh, ill and on a course towards death. Okay? You have to be toward the end of your life and that your death would be reasonably foreseeable. 
This is a victory for the 15% of Canadians who 100% oppose assisted dying. We fear that the criteria for a natural death um, that has become reasonably foreseeable will mean millions of people will be excluded from their right to die a peaceful death. So you know that they're going to be appealing this. Now, the other group that will be appealing this will be doctors and nurses, some of whom don't actually oppose physician or medical assistance in dying. But they themselves don't want to take part. I know doctors like this. You ask them, do you have a, you know, are, are you opposed to this? And they're like, well, you know, if people want it, they can have it. Okay, will you participate? No. Well, sh- those people should have conscience rights. Because whether it's for religious reasons or just their own personal conscience, they should not be forced to participate in taking someone else's life. Now, Shanaz Gokul thinks that they should be forced to. Well, Sean Casey is the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Justice. On with Evan Solomon earlier today. I just want to play you this one question and one answer and then take what remaining time I have left to explain why Sean Casey is either dodging the question, dodging reality, or is unfit to sit in Parliament. What happens, is there enough protection for a physician who, as a matter of conscience, doesn't want to participate in this? The answer to that isn't straightforward, Evan, because the jurisdiction of the federal government is the criminal law. So the the bill that was introduced today um, indicates the circumstances under which medical assistance in dying may be provided. It is then and and so it simply indicates when it's when it's prohibited it does not speak to the conscience rights of doctors that is something that that falls under the constitutional jurisdiction of the provinces in the delivery of health care uh, so this is something that will be dealt with uh, by the provinces um, and it is something that the provinces have have indicated that they're willing to work with the federal government for a, a standardized, a more or less standardized approach. But each province will uh, will be responsible for determining which institutions and which individuals um, can uh, can exercise their rights of conscientious objection. The only other thing I want to say on that point, Evan, is um, it's specifically addressed in the preamble. Uh, the uh, the conscience rights of uh, of providers. So it it's anticipated, but it isn't in the federal jurisdiction. Okay, so there's this little thing called the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which Section 1 says you've got these guaranteed freedoms, and then Section 2 starts enumerating those fundamental freedoms and democratic rights, and Section 2A says everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, freedom of conscience and religion. It's the very first thing. Very first fundamental freedom laid out in the Charter. Sean Casey knows this, but he's dodging. He's trying to say, well, it's up to the provinces. Fine. Is it up to the provinces to pick and choose which part of the Charter they want to uh, adhere to? Because I'll tell you this. If one of the provinces said, oh, yeah, I mean, you've got this gay marriage thing. Can you imagine 10 years ago? If... Well, more than 10 years ago now, if one of the provinces said, yeah, well, gay marriage, but we don't want to have it in our province, so you can have it in your province, but we won't have it in ours. We're not going to have this. After all these court decisions said it was a fundamental freedom, that it was a charter right, 
you bet your butt that the liberals would have been forcing it upon them. But now that we're talking about doctors saying they don't want to help kill somebody, oh, well, that's up to the provinces. Guess what? Performing marriages and how they would be performed is up to the provinces as well. They didn't take that uh, stand 10 years ago. Sean Casey was in Parliament at the time. He didn't take that stand. He's doing a cop-out now because he doesn't want to face up to the issue. He's wrong on this. This is going to be one of the many battles going forward. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Such happy topics on such a beautiful night in the nation's capital. Don't worry, we won't talk about death for the whole show. But we are talking about it right now because of the legislation that came down earlier today on medical-assisted dying, physician-assisted dying, death with dignity, euthanasia, call it what you will. Alberto's Paulo Zagopoulos is a partner at Vincent Dagenet Gibson and is one of the lawyers who's, uh, you've spoken out against it. Have you, have you argued before the uh, the court on this as well, Alberto's? Yeah, I was involved in the Carter case on behalf of two different groups uh, who intervened. One was a group of Catholic and evangelical physicians, and the second was a group of Catholic hospitals. Both groups were concerned with how the legalization of assisted suicide would impact them and their uh, uh, conscience and religious rights. Okay, so that Carter decision came down a year ago now. Uh, We... we We've had enough time to digest. This is happening. doesn't matter how anyone feels about it. It's happening. The question is, how would it be implemented? And now <laughs> they've put forward this legislation, and they're being blasted by everyone, uh, including the people on the opposite side of you. I, do you do you understand why they're angry? Well, they're angry because the Parliament didn't go as far as they would have liked. Uh, and the people on our side are angry because we think Parliament went too far. And so this is the kind of issue, Brian, where uh, nobody leaves happy, everybody leaves unsatisfied. I just played before the news at the bottom of the hour there, uh, Sean Casey, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Justice, and I said either he is dodging the issue or proving he's unfit to sit in Parliament. And I think he's dodging because he said we uh, we didn't stipulate conscience rights for doctors and nurses that don't want to participate because the delivery of health care is provincial jurisdiction. Do you buy that argument? Because I, I, I seem to remember hearing about this little thing called the Charter. <laughs> well, listen, I, I get what he's saying. He's right that the delivery of health care is, is provincial jurisdiction. However, I see it as a cop-out. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly room in the uh, bill for a clear message from Parliament to the provinces that they would not tolerate uh, healthcare practitioners being forced to violate their conscience. They certainly could have done that. They've done that in other contexts, for example, with the legalization of same-sex marriage. Uh, so I, I think it's a cop-out. I think it's pure politics. Uh, there's certainly been a room for them to do that, and they chose not to. And in, my, in my view, the omission is telling. It, look, the, the fact is uh, freedom of conscience and religion are charter rights. When same-sex, you mentioned same-sex marriage, 
when the courts ruled on that and then Parliament moved, if um, if one of the provinces has said, well, fine, it might be a charter right, but we don't really like it, so we won't allow same-sex marriage here, you know that the Liberals and the courts would have come down hard on them and, and forced the province to to adhere to what they view as a charter right. So why wouldn't they hear? Oh, absolutely. And when I, and when I made reference to same-sex marriage, Brian, I meant it in the sense that the federal law dealing with same-sex marriage, the Civil Marriage Act, specifically builds in a protection for uh, religious officials and houses of worship who object to same-sex marriage and not being forced to uh, officiate or host these weddings. Marriage uh, itself, in some ways, is regulated provincially, but that didn't stop Parliament from sending a message that the Charter protects religious freedom and people shouldn't be forced to act in violation of their religious beliefs. They could have done the exact same thing here. They chose not to. Uh, I'm not going to speculate as to why. I've already said I think it's politics, but uh, certainly there was room for them to do so. They chose not to. In fact, the bill as drafted uh, requires physicians to participate in the act. All right. Uh, so uh, l- let me ask you this then, and again, using same-sex marriage as a reference, because that is, you're right, that is in the legislation on on the definition of marriage passed in 2005, but uh, there's also this issue. If people were not in a house of worship, if they were a civil marriage commissioner, they were then forced to either stop being a civil marriage commissioner or perform something that went against their conscience and belief. A a doctor that's in a civic hospital setting that is not part of a uh, religious-based hospital, are they in danger given that precedent? Uh, well, there, with respect to the civil marriage uh, officials, certain provinces have protected them, certain provinces have not. Uh, that issue has not made its way through to the courts, but I suspect it will. Uh, with respect to physicians in, in you know, secular hospitals, for lack of a better term, absolutely they're, they're in danger. We've seen the College of Physicians and Surgeons here in Ontario come out swinging uh, with respect to conscientious objection. The College of Physicians in Ontario, the College of Nurses in Ontario, and the College of Pharmacists in Ontario have all come out saying you need to refer if you object to this, and in, in certain circumstances you need to do it yourself. Uh, so absolutely, it's something to be concerned about. This bill, as I mentioned earlier, does require participation. The level of participation is unclear. Uh, what I mean by that is there is a section in the bill which refers to regulations made by the health uh, Minister of Health. Those regulations have not been drafted, or if they have been drafted, they've not been released. So we don't know what they mean. But the bill itself says, if a physician receives a written request for uh, assistance in ending uh, someone's life, that physician doesn't get the opportunity to simply say, no, I don't do this, you're going to have to go elsewhere. As soon as they receive the request, the, the, uh, a certain obligation is triggered. Now, what the obligation is is unclear, but an obligation is triggered. What's in the bill is you will have to act in accordance, to the, in accordance with these regulations. So there's a lot of concern here. There's a lot of ambiguity, uh, and you know, only time will tell how uh, egregious of a, a uh, violation of conscience rights this bill turns out to be. Okay, uh, we got less than a minute, uh, but I do want to squeeze this in. Um, does this end up being fought out in the courts? with challenges from all sides for years to come. I, I think it does. Uh, you know, the bill is ambiguous. Both sides find it ambiguous. Certain terms are not defined. And when you're a lawyer like me, 
uh, you find bills that uh, you find laws that are ambiguous and you try and tear them apart. Uh, one of the concerns with this bill, you know, we've talked about conscience rights. There's also patient uh, concerns and concerns for the, the vulnerable. This bill contemplates and acknowledges that there will be mistakes made. Uh, and what it does is it says, if you're a physician or a nurse practitioner, and I'm going to paraphrase here in simple terms, you kill somebody who did not want to be killed. If you had a reasonable belief that they did want to be killed, you'll be absolved from prosecution. So what this bill does is it acknowledges that there will be mistakes, and rather than put the safeguard before the event to say, let's make sure this person actually can actually consent, it says, if it turns out you were wrong, you'll be covered. Oh, so wow. I, I, I think we're going to see this in, in a lot of different facets. I think we're going to see it on a conscientious objection, on a access, on a criminal pers- uh, uh, perspective. I think it's going to be in courts for a while. All right. So you and I may be long gone from the earth and they'll still be trying to figure out what all of this means. Uh, although I wish you long life and health, Albertos. Same, same to you and hopefully we die naturally. All right. Alberto Palazagopoulos, a partner with Vincent Dagenet Gibson, joining us tonight. Thanks for the time, sir. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Stick around. We've got more coming up, including a heart-wrenching interview you've just got to hear. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. As I said at the top of the show, it's a bit odd that we're worried so much about uh, suicide in Attawapiskat while people are trying to expand suicide in the rest of the country. It shows how messed up things are. But messed up is one way to describe how teens are dealing with life in that small northeastern Ontario community. This morning, Bill Carroll had an interview with one young man who's tried to take his own life twice because he just didn't see any hope. The whole country is talking about the crisis in Attawapiskat, and we're going to take you there right now and see what it's like to live there through the eyes of a 16-year-old who went public on Facebook with his story about attempting suicide, not once but twice, and about what life is like there. And uh, 16-year-old Tyler Hukama is this has agreed, and we really appreciate this, Tyler, has agreed to come on the show with us. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, hello. Hi, Tyler. What's it been like in the past couple of days? Are you seeing a lot of people suddenly arriving and showing up because we hear uh, mental health care workers and stuff are arriving? Is there a lot of activity there? Uh, yeah. Is it something that's everywhere you look? Is it very noticeable that, that there's a lot going on? Uh, yeah, it's all, all over the news. All yeah. over the news, but are you actually seeing it firsthand? Yeah. So what do you see? Uh, seeing the ministers come in, Grand Chief. We just had a uh, meeting yesterday. And what does that make you feel? That, that suddenly everybody cares, or is it something else? What, what what reaction have you had to that? I'm just wondering if you're thinking, hey, that's great that they're all here to help us, or might you be thinking, I don't want to put words in your, your mouth, are you thinking... Where were you before? I mean, what what's the sense of it now? How, how do you feel about all of this? It's uh, going well. No, like people people are helping out. Helping out in what kind of ways? Like spreading their awareness uh, across Canada, the United States, around the world. I guess. Can you tell me, Tyler, a little bit about yourself? You were born at Attawapiskat. Have you? Have you had much opportunity to leave the reserve? Have you seen any of the province or the world? Uh, 
Yeah. And can you give me an example of where have you been? Uh, I've been to uh, Timmins, Parisan, Toronto. So what? Do, can you tell me what it's like? How do you spend your day there? What What would be a typical day for you? You You get up in the morning. You go to school. Uh, I don't go to school. When did you stop going to school? Probably like before my midterm exams. Uh, I noticed like I wasn't passing. Then I feel like sad and stuff. You weren't doing well in school, so you you left. Is that kind of typical? Do a lot of kids drop out of school there? Uh, yeah, they just uh, walk walk out of class for no reason. They uh, come up with their excuses to uh, get out of school, go home, or do drugs or something. Is it easy to find drugs? Uh, yeah, they're like uh, everywhere in this town. What kind of drugs? Speed, purchase. Have you done a lot of drugs, Tyler? Uh, just uh, marijuana. So now that you don't go to school, how do you spend your days? I help around the community. I go uh, work out fitness. Would you say your life has been sad? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit, Tyler, about the first time you tried to commit suicide? How long ago was that? Last month. Just a month ago? And so what was going on with you, Tyler? Was there something that happened in your life that made you feel very sad that you had to had to do something like that, or was it something else? Oh, no. Depression. felt like I was getting ignored sometimes. Ignored by who? Family? Friends? Sometimes friends. And is that something people talk about your age a lot there, about committing suicide? Uh, yeah. Why do you think that is? Oh, no, uh... No, it's still going on just in other upskirt. What kind of stuff? Uh, the housing crisis and flood, overpriced items. And so what did you do, Tyler? How did you try to take your own life? I, know, I'm trying to, I was trying to uh, overdose, but I guess that didn't work. Like I was trying to hang myself the second time. Oh, Tyler. Weren't you scared? Aren't you scared to die? So what were you thinking that even though you're afraid to die, that that was a better alternative than your life? Oh, no. I wasn't wasn't really thinking good at the time. You think that you were really just trying to say, somebody please help me out. I just, I'm really sad. You just wanted help or do you think you really did want to die? Oh, no. I really did at first. Yeah. Then then after that, I, I wanted to get help. And is there anywhere there to help you? I mean, do you have a doctor? Is yeah, there a... there's doctors, counselors. And do you find it helpful? Sometimes. Tyler, when you think about your life, you know, you're 16 years old, do you see yourself staying at Attawapiskat forever? Yes, I do. And what do you think your life could be like? You know, when you're feeling like, yeah, this is what I'm looking forward to, this is my future, how would it look if everything works out really well for you? I don't know. That would be great. Would you be married? Yeah. Would you like to have kids? Yes. Would you like to have a job? Yeah, I would like a job. Do you dream about having your own house to live in? Uh, yeah. Do you dream about having a car? Yep. 
And do you think those things might happen for you? If I make it happen. And how do you how do you think you can do that? I know get my education good. Go to college. So you you're still hopeful about the future. You think you could make something out of your life. Yeah. So how do we help you? Well, like, what does the rest of Canada do to help you get a college education? I, you've dropped out of school. I, the people you grew up with, do any of them actually go to college? Uh, they're, they're going well. Some are? Is that what you're saying? Some are doing okay? Yeah. But you have to leave Attawapiskat to go to college, I would think, right? And that takes money. Is there any way your family could afford that and help you get that college education you're dreaming about? Do you live? Do you have a mother and father you live with, Tyler? Tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, yeah, I got mother and father. You have a mother and father, and you live with them. Yeah. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, two brothers and two sisters. Older, younger. Uh, one is older. Two of them are older than me, and two young sisters. And do you think your family could ever pay for you to go to college? Uh, hopefully. Do your mom and dad have jobs? Uh, no. So you don't work, they don't work. Uh, what's it like to survive there? Do you do you guys have enough food to eat? Yeah, we have food to eat. And do you have enough money to buy clothes that you need to keep you warm in the winter? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So in this world where you, you're going to be married and have kids of your own and maybe have your own place to live and college education, does that future mean you'd stay at Attawapiskat or would you like to get out of there? Uh, I would like to get out of there. Where would you like to go? Like uh, Toronto. Do you feel like because you the, the roads are closed nine months a year, I'm just wondering what it's like to live in a place like that. Do you feel kind of lonely? Uh, yeah. Do you have cell, cell service? No, we use uh, like cable internet. Okay. Do you have a cell phone? Uh, no. And uh, does that make you feel less isolated, at least, that you can go online and you can write a Facebook post and some guy at a radio station all the way in Ottawa can read it and, and hear about you? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen next for you, Tyler? What What are you going to do next? You, do you have a plan? Are you going to go back to school? Yeah, I'm planning to go back to school. When are you going to do that? Uh, probably like beginning of school year. Tyler, did you know any of the people who were part of this suicide pact Last weekend, were any of them your friends? Well, some of them. And did you know they were planning to do what they tried to do? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know at that time. Oh, you only found out later? Yeah. If you knew, would you try to talk them out of it? Yeah. What do you think you'd say to them? Well, no, I would like to say, uh, talk to someone. You have reasons to live, but that would take all say. Well, Tyler, I, I really want to thank you for being open with us and talking about how you feel. And uh, I, I hope you'll keep talking to somebody up there who can help you work through what you're working through. And I hope you won't try to do it again because you sound like a bright young guy with a, a lot of future ahead of you. And uh, we hope you do get back to school somehow. What's, what would your dream job be? Uh, being a police officer. I'm pretty like Toronto. Okay. Well, I hope you get that dream, Tyler. Okay. All right. Appreciate your time today. Tyler off. 16 years old, living in Attawapiskat. He's tried to kill himself twice just in the last month or so. Bill Carroll this morning on the Morning Rush. Don't go away. We've got lots more to come, including Warren Kinsella dropping by to 
Well, he's out in the Soviet Socialist Republic of Alberta. We'll check in with him there, but also get his take on what's happening federally. Faith Goldie, just back from the uh, Halifax and digging into the story of refugee kids fighting, the media cover-up, and what it says about everyone involved. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Warren Kinsella is a man that uh, covers politics from a different angle these days because he's not always welcome in liberal circles. But we still call him a dirty liberal because that's what he is. And today he feels like a right winger because he's joining us from the socialist gulag of Alberta. Warren, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm drinking vodka and, and eating watery borscht. But you can do that pretty much here. You can do that pretty much anywhere on the prairies, inc- including in conservative homes, right? That's true. You so. can. And it, but it is, it is weird being back home here because I'm from Calgary. And just like, yeah, wait a second. You're the right winger. In charge. Yeah, no, there. You know, I think if you were to truly categorize her, I don't think she's a new Democrat. And certainly last weekend in Edmonton demonstrated that. She is uh, probably much more of a centrist than many other people in her party. So I, I, w- I want to ask you about some federal issues now, but Alberta has their budget today. Um, they have uh, – it's not a, not a popular budget. It's something that's going to cause them some headaches – but they don't have what uh, they have in Newfoundland. They're calling them, I'm looking for the right term, temporary income-based levies. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're calling them. If you make $75,000 in Newfoundland, not an untold sum for people in uh, our listening area, you make $75,000, you are paying an extra 3000 in taxes as they jack up income taxes and call them income-based levies. Did they do that in Alberta? They did not. And in fact, to give her some credit, she didn't do the one thing that I think some even economists were recommending that she do, which was because any of your listeners in Ontario, probably a few of them don't know still that Alberta does not have a sales tax. And uh, that's something that successive governments have stubbornly resisted, including the new Democrats. And uh, she has resisted the temptation to do that. It uh, look sales taxes are economists love them because they are they're clean. You're not being taxed on what you earn. You're being taxed on what you spend, and they say it, you know it's far better for people who want to work hard and earn extra money. You only get taxed if you spend the money. Politicians like them because they're it's like a a, a water spigot or what. Think of those uh, movies you see in New York in the fifties with the um, uh, the the fire hydrant going off and the water spewing everywhere. That's kind of what a sales tax is all about for a politician. But people, regular people hate them. They're predictable too. I remember, you know, when I moved here in the seventies with my family and going to buy a a record at Kelly's record down on the eighth Avenue mall. And, uh, you know, the records back then were five bucks. And I remember fishing in my pocket for change. And the guy was looking at me like, what's wrong with you? That's it. It's five bucks. You don't have to pay anything else. (laughs) So, but it's it's part of the culture here, and it's it's important. And 
notwithstanding the fact that the bottom has fallen out for her on royalties and in pretty much any other revenue source that she traditionally would have had, she has resisted the impulse to do that. So, you know, maybe she's looking ahead to a year from now when experts are saying the industry will come back. I don't know. But um, I, I, I actually feel sorry for her because she is she's ruling at a time where it's Alberta is going through its worst economic downturn in a long, long time since the early 80s and the NEP. I, I remember people that uh, I'd grown up with in Hamilton that moved out for that energy um, energy boom back in the 80s and and things didn't go well. I'm not sure that I feel as sympathetic towards Rachel Notley, but you're right. It, it, she she took over at a time when uh, things were going badly. It kind of reminds me of Bob Ray, but both of them also have policies that are, are that are exacerbating the situation. Yeah, and well, I mean, the problem is that you know a new Democrat government and even a mature one like I think she's got, you know, the business community just tends to be suspicious of them, and they think that you know the Clampets are running the show, and. Um, that may not be the case with, with her government. It certainly was with Bob Ray's. It wasn't the case with Roy Romano's. It was the case in Manitoba and so on and so forth. But it, it just out here, it was such a radical change. It was like somebody grabbing the steering wheel and pointing it right to the but ditch on the left side. Nobody it, could it's get exact, around their head. It's exactly the same as Ontario in 1990 when Bob Ray won. People wanted to punish David Peterson for being arrogant. And they uh, they voted in Bob Ray, and everyone woke up the next morning and said, "What the heck just happened?" What the hell just happened? Yeah, and exactly. in Alberta, it was the same thing. They wanted to push, punish the arrogant PCs, and woke up the next morning with a, a four year hangover. Uh, they sure did. Let, but the let, good news for her mm-hmm. is the right is still split. You know, Wild Rose, the PCs are still. Uh, mortal enemies, and as long as that situation persists, she actually has a shot at winning. See, next time. you view the Alberta PCs as right wing. I don't <laughs> because, well, I, I've met a bunch of them, and I remember my first trip out to Alberta. I'm at this event, and people are, are telling me their politics and where they believe, and I asked them if they were New Democrats, and they're like, oh, no, we're staunch PC supporters. And on Ontario, with the policies they were advocating to me, uh, they would have been voting for Andrea Horvath in the NDP. So yeah. we're staunch yeah. PCs. Let's turn to to a couple of federal issues. Two big things today. We had a Supreme Court decision on Métis and non-status Indians uh, saying that you've got to be treated the same as status Indians. This is something that, like the, the other issue, euthanasia, it's going to result in more court cases because people now have the ability to go to the feds and say, well, you owe us health care, you owe us education, 600,000 people. This is going to be a huge cost. And this is something that has been fought in the courts for 17 years. That goes back to the Kretchen era. Yeah, and you raise an important point. The litigation has been going on for nearly two decades. And any lawyer that you spoke to or expert you'd speak to, Brian, would have told you this is where it was going to end up. And it was just successive governments, whether it was Harper government or Chrétien or anybody before that, or Mulroney, they were putting off the inevitable. It was, it was almost a certainty that the Métis people would be granted some kind of legal status, maybe not equivalency with other First Nations, but you know, now we basically got that. So any, anything that would have been accrued and, and owing to the Métis people 20 years ago, well, you know, with interest and everything else, it's, it's much more than what it was. 
So you're absolutely right. And nobody knows what it's going to cost, though. No, neither do the Métis. They they actually, I know uh, one of the lawyers who who, uh, was successful in the case today, and he said, you know, we just don't have the expertise. We don't have the economists in our community to figure this stuff out. He said, this is new territory for us, too. And but, it, you know, everybody could have avoided a lot of pain and expense if they just sat down and talked to us so many years ago. Uh, let me ask you about euthanasia. Um, you know that I often don't feel sympathy for liberal governments of any kind, especially not Mr. Trudeau's. But um, I, I did a piece up for the rebel today and I said, this is this is not the end of the battle with the introduction of this uh, physician assisted death, as they're now calling it, legislation. This is the beginning because people who are advocates for euthanasia are not happy. They say it's too restrictive, so they're going to sue. People who are opposed to it, even if it's just on a personal level, they say, hold on, there's not enough protection for doctors that that don't want to be involved in this. They're going to sue. So this is just going to result. This legislation will be challenged the second it's passed uh, through uh, Parliament. And my suspicion is the Trudeau guys anticipated that. And, you know, if you're a centrist government, if you have the special interests on either side of, you know, the spectrum on, I, on either extreme kind of mad at you, then you probably know you've done something right. The thing that satisfied me, the thing I was concerned about, what came out of that committee of MPs who originally drafted the rules that Trudeau and his justice minister rejected, there was one element, for example, where they talked about permitting mature minors, quote-unquote, to determine whether you know they can be uh, basically permitted to assisted in committing suicide and you know that's a kind of a dangerous proposition because you know what is a mature minor and well you you and i both have teenagers it depends on the moment that's right and you know what if it's a kid who's got a mental disability and like that was some crazy stuff and so i i I do think So and I think that the courts would stand firm on that. But I don't think they're going to stand firm on the fact that people with mental illness are excluded. I don't think they're going to like the fact that you've got to have two doctors sign off plus have two witnesses. They'll say that's too onerous. Uh, And I have no idea what they'll do with with doctors. I foolishly heard Sean Casey on these airwaves earlier today saying, well, we didn't put uh, protections for doctors in in the legislation because healthcare is provincial. I'm sorry. The charter protects protects this it, it should have been covered but well, I, we'll, you we'll know, see. there's lots of lawsuits coming well you know and also you know I, i'm the son of a doc as you know mm-hmm. and my dad's one of his areas of expertise with euthanasia was euthanasia and he used to say to me and my friends around the kitchen table he said fine you know it's probably this is where they're going to end up but all of us went to medical school to save lives and they're going to have to now train people who are effectively professionals in euthanasia None of us want to do that, and we're also yeah. concerned about the legal liability that comes out of that. Exactly. So who's going to do that? Who's going to the you know Jack Kevorkians don't come along every single day, and you know at the end of his so-called career, he was talking about uh, terminating the lives of people who kind of were feeling bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, they, you know, I, I know doctors. I have I know doctors have no uh, political or personal opposition to it, euthanasia, but they don't want to do it. Warren, we got to run there. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Brian. Warren, Warren Kinsella, liberal right-winger in the Socialist Soviet Republic of Alberta. Stick around. This is Beyond the News. I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So I haven't talked about American politics in a little while. doesn't mean I haven't been following it. I write about it most nights for uh, Truth Revolt. Well, some interesting developments happening right now. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and the Democratic National Caucus are all joining together to sue the state of Arizona because there were long lines to vote. And they say that disenfranchised people. Now, it's only within their own party, so I don't know who's going to win out of this. That, I don't know. But looking forward, it's not to Arizona. They held their primary last month. It's New York. New York. New York. That holds their primary next week. And to quote both Bernie Sanders, the crazy socialist senator from originally from Brooklyn but now from Vermont, Uh, To quote both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, they say it the same way. The New York primary, it's going to be huge. Huge. So Sanders is in, uh, he's in New York City this week, and he is talking about how he can beat Donald uh, Trump, and he told the National Action Network uh, conference, it's led by the Reverend, quote-unquote, Al Sharpton, that vote for him. And he will, he'll look after problems of race. He'll look after everyone, not just those one percenters. For those of you in New York, I need your help on Tuesday. Let us have this great state join so many others and say we are going to go forward with a political revolution. For those of you in New York, meanwhile, Sanders, he drew 27,000 people out to an event in New York just last night, but he's in trouble because one of the people who was there, a Dr. Paul Song, who wants universal health care in the United States, um, said some things that were considered inappropriate and insensitive because he said, uh, you know, we can't keep electing corporate whores. Medicare for all will never happen if we continue to elect corporate Democratic whores who are beholden to big pharma. Democratic whores beholden to Big Pharma. That was turned into an attack on Hillary Clinton by the Clinton people. They said, oh, wait, you're obviously being sexist. This is a term used against men all the time if you're selling out. That's what it was about. And the Sanders crowd and the Trump crowd have gone after these types of people, not because they're against Clinton. You know, it is the angry people on the outside from the left and the right trying to say, you know what, we're sick of people buying elections. That's what's driving Trump and Sanders. Now, speaking of Trump, got a report from Lana Zak at ABC News talking about how Trump is actually trying to claim that the, the Republican Party, the GOP establishment, is trying to steal the party's nomination from him. And, and he's claiming this because it turns out he can't actually win the majority of delegates before the convention in Cleveland mid-July. Donald Trump continues to urge supporters to fight against what he calls a rigged Republican system. You can't let the bosses take it away. And now there are increasing reports of death threats against Republican delegates. Trump's longtime ally Roger Stone said he would help angry supporters find Republican delegates at the convention in Cleveland. We will disclose 
the hotels and the room numbers of those delegates who are directly involved in the steal. Lana Zak, ABC News, Washington. Hmm. Roger Stone saying we'll give we'll give up the the hotels and the room numbers. That's a thug tactic. That's inviting people to go and harass. If Trump doesn't win, and I listened to someone from the Rules Committee the other day, you need 1,237 votes to win the the majority before you even get to the convention. If you don't have that, then they call a vote on the floor. I listened to someone from the Rules Committee the other day. They said if Trump gets over 1,100, he's going to win. But just like our conventions, you have to have the majority of delegate support. If you don't, you don't win. You can't just say, well, I have the most. No, because other people have other delegates. And after they vote the first time, then they get to move around. So this guy in the Rules Committee said if Trump gets more than 1,100, then he's going to be the delegate. But if he gets less than 1,100, then it gets murky. And if he gets less than 1,000, which is possible, then somebody else can definitely win. But now they're invoking thug tactics, which shouldn't be a surprise because we know about the whole issue of Corey Lewandowski, his campaign manager, and the reporter Michelle Fields. Well, it turns out now the police booked Lewandowski on a battery charge after Michelle Fields uh, said he grabbed and pushed her at a rally in Palm Beach last month. But now the state attorney, uh, Dave uh, Ehrenberg, says there's not enough evidence to pursue charges. As state attorney, I've made the decision that this office will not be filing charges against Corey Lewandowski for battery. Now, my understanding is Lewandowski will be issuing an apology or one has been offered. This is all trying to settle this without going through the courts, which they could have done the day it happened. Thug tactics. That's what worries me about Trump. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, Faith Goldie. From the rebel.media, I think I'm popular when I go to gun shows and uh, gun events. And then Faith Goldie shows up and, well, she's pretty and she's into guns and I'm chopped liver. So she's up next. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, we had Ezra Levant on about this story earlier in the week. And then last night, I think it was. Yeah, last night we played you the promo of Faith Goldie reporting from Halifax on the story that went down at the Halifax Chronicle Herald reporting bullying and fighting in schools with Syrian uh, refugee kids. And then they pulled it down. We didn't know what the truth was. Faith Goldie went down. And tonight on her show on The Rebel at 9 o'clock, she will reveal what she found, and she joins us now to give us a teaser and tell us how we can find out more. Faith, thanks for coming on, and uh, how was the trip to Halifax? What would you find out? Well, thanks very much, Brian, for having me. Uh, first of all, I'm happy you pointed to the Chronicle Herald, because after that story was originally published, as you'll recall, they retracted it, they put up some notes about how bullying is serious and we have to welcome newcomers with open arms. And after that retraction, it was sort of like everyone just took it as the fact. That's it. There's no story there. But what they didn't realize or perhaps tune into is the fact that the Chronicle Herald never denied these allegations. They only said that their, their, their story needed more work. So when we went down, myself and the cameraman went down to Halifax, we were determined to do that work. And what we found was essentially, and I don't want to scoop what's going to happen tonight, but, uh, but I'm happy to tell you at least the basics of what we found. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talked to the original two sources that were uh, – 
mentioned in that Chronicle Herald piece. And they confirmed the report. The Chronicle Herald maybe rushed at a few things. They said, you know, a, a, a chain when what they really meant was a necklace. But the choking happened, according to these parents. The strangling, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the slapping, all this stuff that was mentioned in the original story, according to these parents, well, they're sticking to their story. On top of that, though, um, and this might be of the most interest to your listeners, uh, is, is that we actually spoke uh, with parental permission to a student, a grade six student at Shabucto Heights Elementary School in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Brian, the stories that she told us was more than I, I, I had a full story before I even talked to her. And mm-hmm. what she brought to the table was just amazing. Now, I will say that um, these parents that first went to the Chronicle Herald, they were not going there as some sort of bigoted, you know, anti-immigrant, you know, weirdos. They weren't. They were going there to ask for actually more uh, uh, resources to help out the refugees because they said, look, these kids can't speak English. Uh, they're obviously getting frustrated. And now they're having these well, these sorts of lash-outs and, against our kids. And as Ezra and I were talking the other day, and, you know, we both have kids in school, kids fight. Kids are yeah. going to fight. doesn't matter if they're refugee kids, not refugee kids. What really bothered me about this, Faith, was the newspaper put up the original story. It was attacked not for whether it was accurate but how dare you write this? And you and I both know that if this had been uh, Halifax kid attacks um, Syrian uh, refugee child, that would have been headline news across the country. Would have let every newscast, would have been on the front page of all the papers, and it wouldn't have been attacked as, how dare you do this? You know, it's a sad state of this politically correct culture that we live in, because at the end of the day, Brian, when I went down to Halifax, I didn't go down there with a political agenda. I didn't go down there looking for, you know, my truth, just find points that prove my thesis. Um, I I would have rather found out that these kids were not being choked, were not being slapped. But the problem is, is that we were in such a cloud of political correctness that we were blind to the fact that there could have actually been children being hurt on school campuses in this country while nothing was being done about it because, frankly, perhaps, and this is what we'll discuss in detail on my show tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, is there a cover-up going on? These parents say that they, they went through all the appropriate channels to get help and that going to the media was literally their last hope. And what happened? The story perhaps was not uh, handled with as much care as it should have been. It was rushed out a little bit. And then... The whole, the whole country just decided, well, we're not going to believe you. Now where do these parents go, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that based on what folks will watch tonight on the rebel.media, on my show, on the hunt, um, I think what they'll find is that now Canadian journalists from across the country are duty-bound to, to follow up and, and to, first of all, see what's happening at Shibucto Heights Elementary School in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And then perhaps we need a bit more digging in our own backyard. Because if the source of this problem is, as, as the parents have told me, um, and I want to I just put a little disclaimer there. These parents, okay, they, they told me that they helped do, do basic needs and, and clothing drives for these refugees before they came, okay? So okay. that's telling you a little bit about their intentions. But if they're telling me that the source of these kids' frustration and, and the source of, you know, no follow-up is the fact that these kids don't have any translators for one, um, that's something that might be happening across the country. And so, like I said, journalists across the country, it's time we get 
um, our, our heads out of our rear ends, frankly, uh, step down from our, our tower of political correctness, get gritty, and find out and make sure that no other children are in harm's way. Well, as, um, as we were reporting last night, played at the same time as we played your promo for your show tonight, here in Ottawa, food banks are seeing a 30% increase in people showing up. Why? Because they're government-assisted refugees that have been left out on their own now. They're not the, the privately sponsored refugees don't find themselves in the same situation. But now these people that were promised the sun, the moon, and the stars are finding out, okay, I, I don't have enough money to feed my family. I was told, come to Canada, we want to give you a better life, and it's not there now. So, you know, it's similar to what you're talking about. There is a similarity. It's a lack of appropriate planning. And the thing is, um, we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with families. We're dealing with children. And as a country, we said, we're here to help. They get here. And we're not offering them the proper amount of help. So what does that do? Uh, At least what I learned in Halifax is that it's not good for the refugee students. And it's certainly not good for the Canadian locals either. And unfortunately, because we are so timid, we're so timid to question this because of fear of the sort of stuff that we saw happen last Friday after the Chronicle Herald ran their piece, that we will be called bigoted, we'll be called racist. That fear has led us, as opposed to actually being, being led with an inquisitive spirit that says, hey, What's actually in the best interest of the kids? What's actually in the best interest of our country and these newcomers? And so, I, honestly, Brian, it's going to be an amazing report tonight. Um, All right, and, so and how, I, do I people, how do people get at this? Because uh, this is your show. To get your show, you have to be a, a member of The Rebel. Right, so you go to the rebel.media uh, to subscribe uh, as a member. It's a mere eight bucks a month. You know, it's just a couple of Starbucks or Timmy Hoes, depending what your uh, boys in there. And, um, and you get all the access to all of our amazing videos and the rest of it. My show airs every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's called On the Hunt. We do all sorts of awesome interviews. I, I get a lot of great guests on, everyone from police chiefs up to, you know, Conrad Black, et cetera. Um, but tonight is, and I, I just joined the Rebel right after Justin Trudeau was elected. And this is the very first time I really got to go out and do some gritty investigative work again. Uh, it felt good to be on, on, on the field again but it also came at a bit of a cost because I, I want to follow up with this. Uh, I want to make sure that these parents get what they're looking for, and that is a safe place for their children to study, to live, and just have their being, um, where political correctness does not get in the way of the safety of their children. All right. Faith Goldie, thanks so much. And uh, we will. there will be some video released tomorrow morning on The Rebel if you're not a member, but... If you want to be a member, it's easy to do. Thanks for joining us, Faith. All the best tonight. Thank you, Brian. All right. If you want to follow me on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. And as soon as there's something out there, I'll post links to it. Make sure you share it. Let people know what's happening. Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I don't know if you've heard it, if you've seen it, but our Governor General David Johnston, a man that, um, I have an awful lot of respect for. 
So please don't go and and fill the comment section with nasty words about David Johnson. I have an awful lot of respect for this man. A longtime academic. He um, he did some some good work for the Harper government before he was appointed governor general. And he has carried himself with grace and dignity in the job since being appointed in 2010. But he had an interview over at the state broadcaster yesterday. And he made comments that, in my view, go far beyond what someone in his position should be stating. He spoke about the issue of the Syrian refugees and how that was discussed during the election. He spoke about how the niqab was handled during the election. He is the appointed head of state, the Queen's representative in Canada, and he is supposed to be outside of partisan politics. And yet, and yet, his comments could be construed as coming down against the Conservatives, as coming down in favor of the Liberals, and that's not a place that a Governor General should be. So if you want to see that story, find my reaction to it. You can find it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. As I keep telling you, make sure that you put, um, you know, click the thumbs up, click the like so that you get my feed in your feed. Now, my next guest has been, uh, he's a regular caller to this program, but he's been jonesing to debate me all week because uh, I think he believes I'm wrong on everything this week, but in particular, Uber. Guy Annable, the Capital Voice, joins me now. And um, Guy, I know you spent a lot of time down at City Hall following the Uber debate, and you think that the city got it wrong. You're with uh, Hanif Patney, uh and the cab drivers themselves in thinking that it's up to the city to compensate for the license fees that people have paid. Why? Well, let's just go with a bit of background, Brian, and I won't draw it out. Here we are 14 months into an illegal service that the city of Ottawa has been forced to rule on. And in three weeks, we basically, from April 6th and 7th to the 13th, have introduced a whole new regulatory start. And I do say the start. As you earlier said, Brian, this is not the end. This is the beginning. And this is a new regulatory start to the sharing economy. The fact that Rick O'Connor had an opening position on April the 7th at the end of the presentation when he said there's no financial obligation to the city for the current artificial or whatever market price of the license basically set everybody into that initial for real, oh. real tizzy. Okay, let, let me stop you there. You said in three weeks. They, they sent this out last July. I interviewed Rick Shirelli a couple days after they did that. July 9th, 2015 is when my interview was posted online. And when did the KMGP report come out? That came out uh, a few weeks ago. But this is an issue that the city has been studying. Right. Uber Uber only started in the fall of 2014 in Ottawa. Uh Uh-huh. And they've been studying it pretty much since they started. Right. And your predecessor, Ron Corbett, did some amazing work in the evenings discussing this issue. And Ron was very knowledgeable on it. And we came out with some different scenarios. 
and watched, you know, the typical thing, best practices and what other cities were doing and gateway charges and buying out the licenses. But the KMPG report did not even touch on that. They touched on the innovation. They touched on the need. They touched on the better service. They touched on the rating. They touched on the surge pricing, which is great. It's a new service that's coming in. But when you are going to take an industry that's 60 or 70 years and come out with this glowing report that that, uh, Ian Black almost wet himself over, and all the councillors were all over this report, you know, does KMPG now make, municipal policy or do, do the people we elected make the policy? Well, the people we elected are the ones that voted on okay. it, Guy. But so n- no, 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 no. Go ahead. You think that they should, the city should be reimbursing people or compensating them for the price of the license. Did the city charge $100,000 for a license? Did they ever charge anyone $200,000 no, for a not. license or $300,000 no, for a license? Not. These are the fees that were being told that people paid. Did the city ever charge anyone anything close to that for no, a license? That, no, so that's, why that's, then would the city reimburse them for that? Okay, let's talk about that. The city of Ottawa has grown 45% since amalgamation, yet not one taxi license has been issued by the city. So in fact, they're restricting the issuance of new licenses over a 19-year period. May, in fact, be viewed by a judge as an injurious effect with regards to them limiting access to the market. I, now, I, let's not and talk I, about the legal thing. I think that would, see, I think that would see the judge turn around and say, open up the market, not right. compensate and, people and Uber, that paid and, and, black market fees. And, and Hanif has no problem with that. But the key thing is, you are affecting 2,000 families. And some of the stories that I heard this week, Brian, in Scotland and in France... If you're looking at some of the videos that are online on what France did, an excellent, excellent five-minute clip in France and also in Scotland, they're taking a small levy from each Uber fare and placing it in a fund that will retire the licenses at 150,000 euros. Now, so what did France have to go through in the past year? Hold on, 150,000 euros is about $300,000. Yes. Okay. What did France go through in the last two years? fires, bombings, blockades, you know, why can we not learn from what other jurisdictions... Are you talking about terrorist attacks? ...and practice best practices? Are you talking terrorist attacks, or are you talking that's what the cabbies did? (laughs) I'm talking what the cabbies did. Okay, so you want to reward bad behavior... Well, we already did. We already did that in 23 to 1 by allowing Uber in. But now you want it to cost the taxpayers money. No, I want it to cost the, the disruptive technology... Purveyor that's come in and disrupted the market to help compensate people that have got their houses on the line and invested their, their life into this business. And I'm not saying that they should get a free ride, Brian, but the fact that the opening position from Rick O'Connor is that there's absolutely no financial obligation to the city. When you've got jurisdictions around the world which have gone socialist to jurisdictions. For the last two years, you're talking. Why you're, can't we learn from that? That's all you, I'm saying. Well, you're talking about socialist jurisdictions, Guy. Yes, I am. You're, you're talking about France. You're talking about Scotland. And here we to, are in sunny ways. You're talking about France. You're talking about Scotland. Mm-hmm. Two places that believe in socialism. Two places that practice it. Two places that have strong militant union movements. Yes. And 
that's a very different scenario than what we have here. Okay. We, we still we still have, to some degree, and it, it didn't exist before, but we still have, to some degree in Canada, a belief in free enterprise. And that's what won out in the city council vote this week. And what you're calling for is buying people out of a cartel system yes. that kept that out competition. And complicit and benefited from. But Brian, that the city did not benefit rights. from. You talk a lot about rights. A license is a right to do business. And uh, that license was granted. No, it was a guild guy. I'm sorry, Brian. It if was you, not a if right. You, if you pay a mortgage for 20, 25 years and the, and the city comes up and says, by the way, you know your property title? It's now not worth anything. You'd be mad, Brian. And that's what's that going to happen that's, this summer with the city. That's real property. Have, if you think we're going to have a smooth sailing for the 150th anniversary for Ottawa, what Rick Connor did was absolutely an insult to the industry, to the plate owners and the holders well, as an opening position. And you know what? The city deserves, deserves exactly what they get by not at least opening a dialogue to say, okay, we're displacing 2,000 families. We've got 667 plate owners. Let's talk. But to have an opening position like that, you know, it's just not—it's just not right in a in a in Ottawa, especially Brian. But anyways, I got a closing one for you too. I wanted to ask you, but thank you very much for the time tonight, Brian. We we are talking six hundred million dollars. No, three hundred and twenty million. If, but if, if you you're talking three hundred thousand, around a hundred thousand to one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred and fifty thousand, you could actually do a benefits program for any single plate license holder. You know, the guys that own fifty, Guy, sixty, seventy plates, I think they should put it be if, put in a different category. If if I buy a restaurant and another guy opens a restaurant down the street and puts me out of business, but I spent three hundred thousand dollars on my restaurant, will you bail me out? Brian, I guaranteed you a right to drive a no, cab no, without adding any no, licenses for 19 no, years. No, nobody I did. I created that they, artificial they could demand have, with you, They Brian. could have added licenses at any time. They didn't due to political pressure from the cab companies, from the cab unions, from the cab I drivers, from agree. the plate owners. Yes. They, they were all in it together. It's come crashing down around them due to technology. No, it is due to happening. An illegal immigrant that it, steamrolled into this city. An illegal and in immigrant. Months, the guy that started over. The, they've, they've dictated their own policy through the KMPG report. The guy that started Ubers from Calgary. Don't call him an illegal immigrant. Guy, we got to leave it there. Thanks for the call. You have thoughts on any of this? Are you with Guy? Are you with me? Are you in the middle? Do you care? We'll open it up to all the topics we've discussed tonight. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And don't forget, where do you stand on this assisted dying legislation that nobody's happy with? Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Getting some emails on the uh, issues we've been discussing. If you want to email me, it's simple. Beyondthenews at CFRA.com. And if you want to join the discussion on Facebook with... Thousands, soon to be tens of thousands of other great Canadians. That's Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. It really is a great platform for interacting with like-minded people. And so if you like what you hear, 
on the program. You'll probably like the discussions you get on my Facebook page. Uh, 16,000 strong and growing now. But on, on the email, well, Caroline writes in about the governor general making his rather political statements. I have noticed a huge change in the governor general since Trudeau came on the scene, Brian. He has totally turned into some environmental wacko and overstepping his bounds. It's not appropriate. He is the governor general and not prime minister. If a politician made the comments that David Johnson made, I would have no issue. But he's the governor general. He's supposed to be the nonpartisan head of state, the nonpartisan representative of the queen. And you don't hear the queen running around talking about what Prime Minister Trudeau said or Prime Minister Harper or Martin or Gretchen or Mulroney or Trudeau or any of the ones before. You don't hear her talking about what Prime Minister Cameron says. So why is Buddy doing it? I have a lot of respect for David Johnston. Intelligent man, well-educated man, but this was simply wrong. Jeremy wrote in about uh, the whole taxi issue. He writes, Brian, listen up, bud. I use OC Transpo exclusively, so I have no proverbial dog in this fight, but let's be honest here. I used Blue Line and Westway Taxis for years as a civil servant, and I was not always happy with the service, but it's just not fair to the taxi drivers at all. It was never a level playing field, and Uber is basically illegal. As a member of the public, I stand with the taxis on this issue. Well, where do you stand? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Chris writes in, The city did profit by charging 5000 to transfer ownership of plates that cost 500 If the license uh, true value by the uh, city's standards shouldn't be higher than the issue price, why charge $5,000? i have this is news to me. I actually don't know if they charge 5000 If that's been out there, I haven't seen it. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this assisted suicide legislation. You can disagree with me on whether assisted suicide should be legal. I'm not a fan of it. And still say, you know what, this legislation's kind of weird. Like I said, the activists in favor of assisted suicide are angry. They say it doesn't go far enough. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people going, wait a minute. What about my conscience rights? What about my religious freedom? Are you going to force me to perform or take part in assisted suicide? I know non-religious doctors who are concerned about this now. Non-religious doctors who have no issue with the general principle, but don't want to do it themselves. But they're worried now. They got into medicine to help people. Now they're worried. Where do you stand? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Peter, in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, hi, good evening, Brian. Yeah, I think um, going back to the uh, the taxi issue, uh, Guy and yourself both made uh, some some good points. but at the end of the day, it seems to me that the the, the, the taxi plate um, inflation uh, program that they were running, um, you know, was essentially a gamble, and uh, they seem to have lost. Now, I, I like the what Guy said. He said in Scotland and France, uh, they've taken a a, set, a percentage of money off each fare and put it into a fund. That's that's actually a pretty fair and a pretty pretty rational. Um, uh, way to go about it. I don't. But, think... but what if I paid three hundred thousand and they cap it at a hundred thousand? 
then I'll turn around and say, but you're not fully compensating me. And since it was black market, how do we really know what people paid? Well, yeah, sure, that, that, that's true. But, uh, you know, with, with that outburst that I heard on the radio uh, today, um, you know, obviously some people are out, out, of, out of pocket uh, quite a bit of money. As far as the uh, head of state, uh, Mr. Johnson, I think if the Liberals have been successful in sort of um, inculcating their, their uh, environmental ideas into him and using him as a spokesman, I think it's a very effective Liberal strategy that they could use that. I hope it's not true. Well, I I don't know on that, but I am I'm concerned that the 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 man that's supposed to be nonpartisan is making partisan uh, comments. Why on earth is is he commenting on the NACAB issue? Why is he yeah. commenting on how that was handled? He he said he was really worried about how the country was turning. Uh, do do you know yeah. what the numbers were, Peter, on on Canadians supporting or opposing the NACAB? No, I think it's totally inappropriate for him to be weighing it. It is 82, in, in, in the poll done for the Privy Council office in early 2015, it was 82% opposed. In the middle yeah. of the election campaign, we did one for the Rebel, 78% yeah. opposed. Yeah, It, well, it, it, it was be. across party lines, it was across the country, but in the media and to the elites like David Johnston and Peter Mansbridge, yeah. who seems to have some inside knowledge of how David Johnston was feeling during the election, and if you yeah. watch my video at, uh, on my Facebook page, you'll see what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, the, to these guys, they didn't know anyone that was opposed to this, but that's right. because they don't talk to normal people. Right. And you know what, what Brian, I, I, I hope that Mr. Johnson is not trying to extend his, his term of contract. Uh, by, by May. I hope this is an, uh, sort of an unconscious uh, slip, a one-off slip. But uh, going to the euthanasia issue, um, that's a really naughty issue. And, and, and the big thing that people have to, of course, be worried about is the, that um, scenario becoming a racket of, of some sort involving lawyers and involving uh, corrupt officials. You know, they, um, they said they were worried about um, suicide tourism. And they kept right. saying that this legislation will ensure that that doesn't happen. But right. then, then the Liberals kept saying this is a charter right. Well, as soon as you step set foot on Canadian soil, Peter, the charter applies to you. So, I mean, the, the, you could end up with a racket, and hopefully not. You're supposed to have two yeah. independent doctors and two independent witnesses that you're of sound mind. I think the courts will strike that down. But I also think they'll strike down this exclusion on foreigners being able to do this because as soon as you – if it's a charter right, then as soon as you land on Canadian soil, the charter applies to you. Right. But having, having said all that, I, I do think that uh, you know, we're mature enough as a country uh, to, to, to be able to, to come to some sort of bipartisan um, protocol system on this issue. We shouldn't just kick this down the road the way that uh, the native file has been kicked down the road for, for a long, long time. Well – it's uh, it hasn't been kicked down the road. They filed legislation, and it's going to be appealed by everybody, and yeah. it's going to end up in the courts. That's why I say the battle's just beginning. Doesn't matter which side you're on, the battle's just beginning. Thanks for the call, Peter. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, stick around. We got Nadia, Edith, Alan, Dave, Gloria, all kinds of people standing by. We got your emails. Beyond the News at cfra.com. This is News Talk 580 CFRA.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Benny Sanders. Benny. Benny Sanders from New York, from Brooklyn. The crazy socialist who could win huge if things go good for him. Huge, just like Donald Trump could win huge. Love the way New Yorkers talk. He's had to suspend his um, his Jewish outreach coordinator because of... Um, the headline says she was critical of Israel. No, she accused Benjamin Netanyahu of murdering 2,000 people. <gasps> yeah, uh, so, um, <clears throat> uh, sorry, you're uh, suspended while we look into this. Crazy socialists. They're fun. To your calls, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And if you want to email, it's easy, beyond the news at CFRA.com. Uh, and Barbara writes in about Uber, and she says, the way I see the, it, the Uber taxi situation didn't happen because a foreign corporation rolled into town. It happened because the public had finally taken enough abuse from the taxi cartel and decided to give their money to an alternative platform. I guess they should have been nicer to us over the years. That from Barb in Canada. To Nadia in Ottawa. Nadia, you're on Beyond the News. Brian, mm-hmm. I'm all over the map, but anyway. <laughs> no worries. Well, I'm, You're I'm, calling in about Attawapiska. Attawapiska, and uh, I know that she's voted in by the by her people, and that's why the media. But I, I just find media the, the hypocrisy of the media regarding Queen of uh, Attawaska. Remember two years ago? Oh, she was on a hunger strike. Teresa Spence. Oh, she was on a hunger strike Mm -hmm. uh, on uh, Parliament, and Trudeau and the media went down to her camp. Trudeau shook her hand and said, oh, we'll go, you know, we'll uh, hear you, and blah, blah, blah. The media, what has she done since the past two years with regards to her people? Like, like to me, it's it's uh, she's she's sitting on her rear end, and new people, the media, Sun News. I remember two years ago on, on TV, you debunked the whole situation. She was being fed by her um, common law, whatever husband, if I if I yeah. if I recall. But apparently, a uh, fish soup is uh, a hunger strike. Well, uh, it just it blows my mind, Brian. I apologize, but it just blows my mind the hypocrisy and 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 everything else that's going on. Like you know, get those people. To me, the accountability with regards to where the money was going. Uh, Harper had it bang on with regards to we give you the money, you give us uh, back your balance sheet and tell me where your money is going. And if it's not going for your people, then you're being uh, you'll be striked out of money. Why, why are you a racist, Nadia? Am I? Am I? No, no, you're not. But that's the that's the answer that you would get from the people that would be on the other side. Oh. They, they would just throw that at you. But but you're right. Anyone else, you say, all right, we're going to give you millions of dollars. Tell you, tell us how you spent it. Instead, we have Eric Hoskins, the Ontario Health Minister, going up to Attawapiskat and saying, "Here's another two million for mental health." Uh, they were complaining when she was on her hunger strike that they didn't have money for housing, and yet there were unfinished houses that that should have been finished that had the materials inside of them to be finished, but nobody would finish them, and nobody would live in them. So, Brian, am I still on? 
Yeah, you are. Oh, well, okay, Brian. How come, uh, why are we still uh, giving, uh, forking uh, dollars, my tax dollars, towards her when she's sitting on her rear end doing nothing about it? My, Stop the money. My, my big problem with this issue, Nadia, is that the response from politicians is we need to give them more resources, we need to give them more money. It's not no. a, a question of, of more money necessarily. It's no. What has been done so far what could be done all right thanks for the Brian, call before you yep. go mm-hmm. uh, i know that you're a cruise uh, fan yeah <laughs> but but for me i can't wait for trump <laughs> you're, you're going to say oh she's bunkers <laughs> but <laughs> i can't wait for trump <laughs> to face i, I don't to, insult to, the other side to, to face clinton in a oh. debate oh, well please. my my worry is that he'll just lose that's what no, i'm worried he about won't. He won't. Well, all the polls say he will. Nadia, we'll talk again. Take care, Brian. All right, let's go to uh, Edith in Ottawa. You're calling in about the GG. Edith? Yeah, Edith. Yes. They, there was a, a going to be a vote a couple of years ago, and they asked the governor general if it was a tie, what would you do? He said, I would vote with the liberals because I am a liberal. I don't ever remember hearing that. Yeah, it was, a, it was one of the... Um, I don't remember if it was the CTB or what the re- uh, what broadcast company it was, but I watched that. And they said uh, about a month or so ago, uh, Teresa Spence left the reservation, but they didn't show where she went. Hmm. Well, Teresa Spence is an interesting character that we should look more into, and we should look at the but, we, uh, we should look at the leadership of all the reserves. Uh, but, look, oh, the, there oh. are good reserves, Edith. There are reserves that work, and I met a guy who turned one around from a place with no running water 25 years ago to a place that hires and employs 500 people off reserve now. That's good. I know there's one in uh, in southern Alberta that they have uh, a canning company that mm-hmm. they do all the vegetables and all that kind of stuff, and there's one... Right outside of Vancouver or Victoria that have the golf course. and uh, So that's the U.S. That's in uh, the the um, uh, Kelowna in the Okanagan Valley. And then the one I'm talking about is just south of Saskatoon, the Dakota Whitecap. Yeah, and then there's uh, that and, one and in Kamloops, too. My, my sister and the, they have a housing complex in there. The, the, the guy, guys in uh, Caledonia used to be very functional, used to be very good reserve. Yeah. And and then they, they got into some trouble, but hopefully they can turn things around there again. Edith, but, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You want to get on the line? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bow Mobility. If you're on the line now, hold on. We will get to your call shortly. And, of course, you can email me in the break, News at CFRA.com. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Chris had written in about taxis earlier and said that the city charged thousands of dollars to transfer a plate. Uh, I said I hadn't heard that. He sent me an article uh, from back in October showing that, yeah, they charge as mu- almost $4,000 a plate for a transfer. 
But then this is interesting in the, the article, and we'll get to your calls. Just let me read this because I know, Alan, in particular, you're calling in about taxi issue. The article says the problem dates back to pre-amalgamation Ottawa, where there were about 20 transfers per year. In 2000, a task force headed by former regional chair Andy Hayden recommended that taxi plates be issued each year and be non-transferable. If a driver retired, the plate would go back to the city to be reissued to another person. The tax force argued this would inject competition into the industry and benefit consumers. The recommendation not implemented. Hmm. Back then, taxi plates cost a lot less on the black market than they do uh, today, or they did before Uber anyway. Alan in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hi. Um, my sentiments in the taxi industry is just wipe out all the plates, what they're worth. Uh, give ones that had multiple plates, 100,000, the rest less accordingly to how many plates they owned. Um, because this is going broke, and I don't know how, you know, how we can afford to pay them like 300,000. Okay, you know, well, if the city's going broke, why pay them? Well, because they they paid a lot of money. They didn't pay it to the city. That's true, but I think we have to do a fair, be fair. As far as I, I'm a fair person. Um, can I talk on one other topic here? It, well, no, you you, uh, you you absolutely can. But first. I, I'm trying to get, understand people here, and they keep saying, well, it's fair to, to pay them out. Alan, if I overpay for something anywhere in the city, I, I don't get compensation from the city. I don't get compensation from the federal or provincial government because I overpay for something, whether it's regulated or not. All right. Uh, personally, I think the taxi industry was run like mafia. You know, it's like uh, you either... Do it our way, or not? We're not allowing you in. Um, that that wasn't all the city. That was the industry as well. Well, that that's what I'm talking about. But okay. they're all in together. There's a lot of collusion there. Mm-hmm. And and so now I have to pay extra in taxes or in fares to a competitor. Well, I think Uber came in the wrong way. They came in like gangbusters and you know just basically put them out of business. So I think it, we at least told them that. If we were a little bit of a living. If the taxi industry had responded to Uber properly, and, and I understand in some ways they're, they were handcuffed, but if they had upped their game in terms of service, don't you think that maybe they wouldn't have lost as much business? I mean, why did they not have an app? Considering how easy it was to develop these things, why did they not have an app for smartphones that made it easier for people to find cabs? Because when you call the line, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you use ta- taxis often. But when you call the line and you say, I'd like a cab at this address, it, they'd, they'd wait 15 minutes. And then you'd call back and you'd say, where was my cab? Oh, it's on its way. It'll be there soon. And, yeah, and I've, wait, I've heard that a lot, too. You, you wait forever. I mean, I, I used to uh, go to the airport for uh, 6 o'clock flights. I would have yep. to book my cab the day before online and then really hope that it showed up the way that it was promised. Now, if I booked it online, it did. If I called in the morning, yep. they would tell me I would get a car, and I might not, at which point you're worried about missing your flight. Or if you're not going to the airport, you're worried about missing a doctor's appointment or whatever you're going to. That, well, that's think... just bad service, and that, oh, was that, a problem. That, that was a problem in the industry 
And that's why Uber was able to take advantage of it. Like when I got bad service from one taxi cab, what I did was I stepped out and I got another cab. You know, I, I tried to teach these guys a lesson sometimes, yeah. you know? Uh, All right. You also wanted to comment on the governor general. No, no I have changed my mind. I like talking uh, doctor-assisted suicide. Okay, go ahead. My mother had, had Parkinson's, and mm-hmm. at the end she couldn't swallow. So what the doctors at where she died at uh, did was turn off the uh, tubes and basically let her starve to death. Now, to me, it would make more sense to me to put a needle in her arm and let her go that way. It would have been more, I don't know, uh, I think it would have been better for her than to have to did, die that way. Okay, and, and let me ask you about the, we're going in that direction, whether... Yes. Whether you like it or don't like it, we're going in that direction. So let me ask you two things, or, or I guess three. Should children be able to access this? No. Should... I don't think so because they're not, they haven't got the mental, I guess, capabilities. What about people that are mentally ill and depressed? That's, uh, no, I don't think so either. Okay. These are what the activists are pushing for. And then on the other side, the other activists who are opposed to euthanasia are saying, wait a minute, don't force me to do this. I signed up to make people better. Where do you stand on that? Should they be forced? No, uh, a doctor that doesn't want to do it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't have to. Like, there's enough doctors around. I'm sure that would somebody would do it. I Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. I used to work in palliative care sometimes. Yeah. These people had between 1 and 30 days to live. Yeah, now, some of them were quite lucid, and I don't think a lot of them wanted to be around. And personally, I think that should have been their choice. They would have died with dignity. I've been in, uh, I, I haven't been in palliative care. I've been there to see relatives, and, and I've watched them die with dignity without this. So it, But we, we're going to get this whether I like it or not, but we can be reasonable people and come to reasonable solutions on this. Unfortunately, it's all going to end up in the courts. Alan, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Eileen in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Eileen? Eileen, can you turn down your radio? Yes. Hi, okay, Brian. hi. My first call to you, and um, I, um, I find it quite scary that uh, it could become legal, well, will become legal for people to just kill other people, um, it could, in some instances, be quite easy for someone to just put somebody down and say, well, they had asked for it. They could even, you know, arrange for this person to, you know, have witnesses to saying that she wanted to die or whatever. Did, uh, did you hear um, Albertos Polozagopoulos earlier, the lawyer that I had on? No, I he, wasn't home, so I didn't um, okay. get a chance to hear that. So he, he's on the side that's looking to protect doctors, and he said, uh, unfortunately, doctors that don't want to participate are not necessarily protected by this law, but if a doctor kills somebody who did not ask for it, but they have reasonable grounds to believe that the person had wanted it when they acted, then that doctor's protected from prosecution. Hmm. So it's already acknowledging that some people are going to make the mistake. Some people are going to die when they didn't want it. And 
we've heard stories like this from jurisdictions where they've legalized this. Um, you know, somebody goes to, to see their mother in the morning at the hospital and um, their mother's been been euthanized because the doctor made a mistake. Mm-hmm. They're, they're lying, you know, waiting for care. And in the bed next to them is the person that wants to die and the wrong person ends up dead. Yes. Yes, that's quite possible, too. Um, and I find, like, a previous caller mentioned about, you know, doctors should not be forced to, uh, to, to kill someone if it's against their conscience or even refer them to somebody to do that in their stead. Um, whereas, you know, their freedom of conscience, um, that's just so contrary to our democracy. Um, I find there's a lot of contradictions in uh, the way this uh, regulation is going. For instance, uh, there's a lot of concern about the attempted suicide, and yet, you know, the government is going to be making it legal to commit suicide. They're promoting that. Um, I, I just don't see the sense in that. Um, you know, if they would only put more care into palliative care and to do something to make uh, things more uh, livable for people who are having mm-hmm. a difficult time. And it isn't uh, that extremely expensive or that extremely difficult to provide them with the proper medication with, when it's regulated and uh, to bring down the pain. And, uh, you know, people need support and they need care, and this should be provided by people who know them and and care for them. I wish that people would largely, on on a large basis, write to the Prime Minister, the Justice Minister, their own Member of Parliament, and express their viewpoints as to um, what should be in this bill and what shouldn't be. I, I think they've received a lot of uh, feedback already, and they're going to be getting even more in the next little while because, uh, like I said, this bill isn't really leaving anybody happy, on, not on either side of the issue. Eileen, thanks for the call. we got to run and take a commercial break, but we'll be back shortly. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you want to join the conversation, jump in now or email Beyond the News at Newstalk 580 CFRA. On the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Gloria writes in, uh, Brian, if I have a living will which stipulates the circumstances under which I would want to live, otherwise saying I don't want to live because of machines, doesn't that mean I'm predetermining my death? I wonder how the new legislation will handle that well uh you cannot you you can say that you want people you don't want to live by machines and you would like the plug pulled but you can't say that you want physician assisted death and they're two very different things and i think a lot of people confuse this being kept alive by a respirator or a heart machine that uh that 
and pulling the plug on that is not assisted suicide. That's pulling the plug and then letting nature take its course. Physician-assisted suicide, euthanasia, that is actively injecting you with something to kill you. Vast difference. A vast difference. So you can say you don't want to be kept alive by machines. You cannot say, I want to have assisted suicide if I get to this point. Because you have to be competent when you say it. There's a whole lot of things you cannot consent to if you're not competent at the time it's going to happen. You cannot do pre-consent. We had a really weird, disturbing case about that at the Supreme Court. Uh, also had Joseph write in about Uber. Uh, he listens in from over the interwebs from Virginia, but originally from Ottawa. And he says, uh, Brian, there's nothing to compensate. By the way, full disclosure, Joe does do some driving for Uber in the Virginia area near Washington, D.C. He says there's nothing to compensate. The taxis will not be going out of business. They'll just have less business and have to improve their work here in Washington. The hacks get a bit mad about it. But the worst they'll tell you is that their business took a 40% hit since Uber entered the market. He also goes on to say they have nicer cars now, um, and a lot of them drive Uber in their spare time. Let me tell you, you want a place where taxis can rip you off? Washington, D.C. has, and I've never found taxis to rip me off in Ottawa. And I've always said the service in Ottawa is far better than you get in many other cities. But Washington, D.C. has this weird zone system where depending on what zone you're picked up in and what zone you're dropped off in, that determines your fare. And it can go up substantially by crossing into a zone. And so what you would end up with is if you want to drop off at a certain intersection, well, the cabbie would drive across to the other side of the intersection because then you're in a different zone and then your fare's a lot higher, even though you went, what, 20 feet? Really? You went to the other side of the street and I'm going to go up by four bucks? That's craziness. They also, until recently, refused to take anything but cash. So, interesting business model they had going on. Michael in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah good evening to you, Brian. Good evening. Uh, yeah, to me, I'm called. That gent was on there today. Uh, the, other, the announcer told me his name. I forgot. He 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 had tried to commit suicide a couple mm-hmm. of times. I was I was listening to it. Yeah, that gentleman is listening on his back back home. But I would like to say to him. Tyler Hookerman. I'm going to say some prayers for him. And don't thank me for it. Uh, if you're listening on this station, a person who wants to do it, I'm going to say prayers for you. You need, you need prayers. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely he does. Oh uh, man, no, no. prayers, prayers does a lot, 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 lot of good. So anyways, I can't Brian, argue well, with that. Ha- have a nice evening, and All God right. bless you, buddy. Thank you for the time, Michael. Thank you for the you're call. Well. I, I won't say thank you for the prayers. We could all use more prayers, couldn't we? So we've talked a lot about euthanasia, and now Michael's brought it back to Attawapiskat, the young man wanting to commit suicide, trying to commit suicide. I have to throw it out to you again. Why are we so concerned about teens trying to commit suicide when we're trying to pass laws to make it easier to commit suicide? The answer is easy. We know in our heart of hearts that suicide's wrong. We know in our heart of hearts that it's a bad thing. We don't want people to do it. There's a great difference between someone who is dying of cancer and in a great deal of pain 
and a teenager that to us looks like they have the the world before them great deal of difference and i understand that but we also know in our heart of hearts that life is life we know that ending a life before its time is the wrong thing to do it's why we react that way so that's why the whole country is worried about what's going on in Attawapiskat. Shouldn't we also be concerned that some people feel that there's no hope so that we need they need to turn to assisted suicide? Because it's not going to be just those people that are in their last days and in extreme pain. You heard you heard the the activist saying that this is the wrong way to go. And I want to play that clip again. Cut 109. This is Shanaz Gokul from the group Dying with Dignity. I don't really like that name because I'm not sure that it's accurate. But the government's legislation has said that physician-assisted suicide will be available to people who are near the end of their life and whose death would have been reasonably foreseeable due to their medical condition. And Shinaz Gokul says, this is the wrong way to go. It needs to be opened up. It needs to be expanded. This is too restrictive. This is a victory for the 15% of Canadians who 100% oppose assisted dying. We fear that the criteria for a natural death um, that has become reasonably foreseeable will mean millions of people will be excluded from their right to die a peaceful death. Who does she want it expanded to? Mature minors, so a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. People who are depressed. People dealing with mental health issues. She wants it expanded to people that are Maybe they've got an illness, but they're not near death. That's far different than what most supporters of euthanasia that I know of were sold on. Like I said, I I, I think an awful lot of people that say, I support euthanasia, I support assisted suicide, think that those of us opposed mean we don't want you to be able to pull the plug. No, pull the plug. Pull the plug. That's nature taking its course. Being kept alive by machines? I don't agree with that. If you want to be, that's up to you. But what we're moving towards is opening this up to anybody that feels like, I just don't want to live today. And that's what those kids in Attawapiskat were dealing with. They got to a point in their life where they did not want to live anymore, and they said, my choice is to die. And the activists say, you have to let us do this because it's my choice. And so the arguments are the same. But in one instance, we're going to spend millions to try and prevent it. And then the other, we're going to try and say, this is the right thing. I think we need to reflect on where we're going as a country if we can't see that there's a correlation here. If we can't see that fretting about one but not the other shows an incongruency. I'm Brian Lilly. Tomorrow night's Friday. We'll try and make the show a happier show on Friday. Try not to be so heavy. Of course, it will also depend on what the news is tomorrow. 
Thanks for listening tonight. As always, remember, I'm on your side.